0: All right, so we're in First Peter chapter 4, and we're going to read verses uh, 7 through 19 together to open up. Um, I, I, I don't think I've bitten off more than I can chew, but we're going we're to get through uh, 7 through 19 today, looking at living expectantly. So here we go, verse 7. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and sober-minded for prayer. Above all, maintain constant love for one another, since love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaining, just as each one has received a gift. Use it to serve in service to others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. If anyone speaks, let it be as one who speaks God's words. If anyone serves, let it be from the strength that God provides, so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything. To him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Dear friends, do not be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes upon you. Uh, to test you as as if something unusual were happening. Instead, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may also rejoice with great joy when his glory is revealed. If you are ridiculed for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and, and of God rests on you. Let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian... Let him not be ashamed, but let him also let him glorify God in having that name. For the time has come for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who disobey the gospel of God? And if a righteous person is saved with difficulty, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then let those who suffer according to God's will entrust themselves to a faithful creator while doing what is good. All right, so we have made our way through uh, First Peter. We're, we're getting close to, to finishing this, and maybe we'll head to Summer in the Psalms towards the end of summer. We'll see how it goes, right? But uh, we're, we're, today we're looking at, at, at the way we should live as strangers and exiles, live as people who, who uh, this world's not our home. And, and we're to live expectantly. That's the title of today's message, is to live expectantly. Now, we've seen that we are to to, to honor God and to live and live as strangers and exiles. We're to also be submissive to the governing authorities and those around us. And, and our submission should point us to Jesus. Why? Because Jesus Christ is the one who has triumphed. We've seen Christ triumph and, and that we put all of our hope in him. And, and when we put our hope in him, that's what strangers and exiles are uh, to this world, those who have put their hope and faith in Jesus Christ, ones ones that have been called out of darkness and in to light, And then as we have been called into light, now we live in that light. And we live in righteousness. We walk in righteousness, wanting and desiring again to point back to the one who is righteous. The one that was, who died for our sins. The righteous one for the unrighteous, plural, all of us. And we live, we're to live now expectantly. How to, and how do we live expectantly? How do we live expectantly for the Lord's return and rule and reign? It's a, it's a tough thing to do that. Uh, Paul wrote to the Thessalonian church, right? The Thessalonian church was all about the end times, the return of the Lord. But you had some people in the Thessalonian church, they're almost sitting in the front yard on the lawn in their lawn chair, and they had their bag packed and ready to go, drinking their coffee or whatever, just like, okay, here we go. We're waiting. I can't wait. Let's let's do this. But they were wasting. their waiting. They were just sitting there. They were being idle is what Paul says. And, and he warned the, the rest of the Thessalonian church, don't just follow those who are idle. Don't, don't mimic them. Don't imitate them. While we wait, while we expect the Lord to return, we ought to be busy and about his business. Not sitting back like, okay, I'm good. I got saved. I got baptized. I'm just going to sit back and relax and wait till Jesus comes and picks me up and takes me home. That is not the attitude that we are called to have. So, Peter writes about this too in our, in our text today that I just read. The end of all things is near, he says. So, if we're going to live expectantly, what's the first thing? Number one is this be alert and sober-minded for prayer. There's a lot going on there. and We've talked about some of these aspects that Peter has talked about already. He says, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert, sober-minded for prayer. So the Lord's return is imminent. And it could occur at any moment. So what do we want to be found doing? Do we want to be found sitting idle, doing our own things, just resting and relaxing? Or do we want to be found being alert, and sober-minded, and on guard, and and prayerful about the return of Christ? In James chapter 5, Verses 7 through 8, it says, brothers and sisters, be patient until the Lord's coming. Now, it almost seems like that might contradict. Yeah, it seems like that guy on the front uh, front porch and just kind of hanging out is being patient. He's, just, he's patiently waiting. Okay, but what does patience look like? What, what does he describe here in James? He says, be patient until the Lord's coming. It says, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth and is patient with it until uh, it receives the early and late rains. So he's comparing this to farming and harvesting and fruit that's being produced. And certainly we can't, we can't do anything and go metal there. We need to kind of let it do its thing. But we do tend to it. We water it, right? We make sure it has the nutrients it needs. We, we deadhead plants off and, and prune away vines that aren't producing fruit to make it grow more strong. There's things we can do while it's producing a fruit. But he says, you also must be patient. And then, he, then he clarifies this in, in James. He says, strengthen your hearts because the Lord's coming is near. So in our in our patience, what are we to do? We're to build ourselves up in our faith. We're to grow and strengthen ourselves in our faith, and we're to do that for one another as well. We aren't to waste our waiting, and we see this in Luke as well. and And uh, Jesus says this: be on guard so that your your minds are not dulled. Right? We we can sit on the front porch all day, and eventually you just have this dull mind. We wasted hours and hours and hours. He says, be on guard. Right? So this, same as Peter, be alert. So reminded that your minds are not dulled. From oh okay, are, they're doled from what? Not living righteously, they're doled from carousing and drunkenness and worries of life, or that day will come to you unexpectedly like a trap. You see, there's a place that that the righteous and there's a way that the righteous will live expectantly, and it is not on the front porch doing nothing. In fact, those who are sitting on the front porch doing nothing ought to be careful and ought to ought to really analyze their own salvation because It says that that day when he comes, it will be like a trap and you will be caught. He goes on, For it will come on all who live on the face of the earth, but be alert at all times. There it is, same as Peter, right? Be alert at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. We're to be alert. We're we're to be alert and live righteously and let our actions speak for themselves, uh, we, we don't become idle, and we don't become uh, involved in worthless activity, but we, we live righteously that we might pray and have strength and grow. And the prayer is for strength and endurance to live that way in the face of persecution, in the face of, of temptation all around us. Think about Jesus and how, how he did this. He modeled this. And so, some of us think, oh, you know what, I, I'm good. I don't need to pray. I, I'm, I'm okay. Jesus modeled this for us because he needed it. So we have this this, this scene at the Garden of Gethsemane. He just finishes the Last Supper, and he's heading to the Garden to pray. He's about to be arrested and then crucified. And Jesus came with them, the apostles, uh, to the place called Gethsemane. And he told the disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. Taking along Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. The Son of God, sorrowful and troubled. He said to them, I am deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake with me. Going a little farther, he fell face down and he prayed. My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. So Jesus is is troubled and distressed and and suffering, and he goes to his father and yields himself, and and he's, he's hoping that his disciples will be doing the same thing. So he came back to his disciples and he found them what? They were sleeping. He asked Peter, so couldn't you stay awake with me one hour? And he said, stay awake. What did Peter say? Be alert. So Peter, learning from this, teaches the church, writes a letter later on. Be alert. Be on guard. Be sober-minded unto prayer. What do you think Peter was remembering and recalling when he wrote that to us? When he wrote that for the church. He remember that time in the garden when Jesus was sorrowful unto death and, and he was struggling? And, and, and he brought Peter along for for. Uh, prayer and for support. Instead, Peter fell asleep. He knew what it was like to not pray. And what did did Peter do pretty shortly after that? He ended up denying Jesus, didn't he? We see, we need strength. Peter, right, the, the rock that the church was built on, needed strength. Jesus, the Son of God, God in the flesh, was sorrowful unto death and needed strength. And the exhort, exhortation is stay awake and pray so that you won't enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but what? The flesh is weak. The flesh is weak. If we are to be strangers and exiles, and we're to, we're, if we are to live expectantly, we are to stay awake and pray and understanding we're doing that because the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Our flesh is weak. Stay awake unto prayer so you be strengthened and ready to live Righteously. Number two, when we live expectantly, we love one another. You look at verses eight and th- through nine there at first Peter four. It says, above all, maintain constant love for one another, since love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaining. This is tough, isn't it? To be hospitable to one another without complaining. We we find a lot to complain about sometimes, right? We we think we deserve or have earned or should have. And those should-haves and should-have-earned and are owed statements bring up some bitterness in us sometimes and some resentment in us sometimes. But what is Peter's exhortation? He says, above all, maintain constant love for one another, since love, it's sincere love, covers a multitude of sins. Do it without complaining. Right, so as we wait expectantly for the Lord, we are to love, and we are to forgive, and we are to sharpen one another and we are to to let God encourage people to let God file off the rough edges in their life that's what love does true love brings up truth gently and compassionately but graciously pointing people to the scriptures that the word of God and the spirit of God might sharpen the rough edges of our life and and our sins would be less and less every day Proverbs 10 says hatred stirs up conflict so our resentment, our bitterness, our anger, anything that malice what, what hatred we have towards one another, we hold on to something there that stirs up conflict. But love covers all offenses. It, listen, this doesn't mean we, we like sweep them under the rug. Now, I've told you this before. Like If you have a friend and, and some, you know, something happens and, and they said something to you or they did something to you and you're like, oh man, that really hurt. I don't like that. Like, that made me feel, that was, that was wrong. I was wrong. And you think about it a little bit, and you're like, you know what? That person has never ever done that before. That is way out of character. My my, my encouragement to you would be, you know what? Just just overlook that, let it go. If you need to say something, that's fine. But I'd say it's let it go. But if it becomes this this habit, a pattern, now you see the heart being revealed. We need to go to that brother or sister and say, listen, I'm seeing something happen. I I I don't want to break a relationship. How can I help? This seems like an error. Is there something that we can do to? correct this and restore a relationship? Have I wronged you in some way, right? It's so important for us to do that. But, and here's a real, real key key thing to this. We think, well, why should I do that? It's kind of a waste of time. It's a lot of work. We're both going to heaven. Let's just be bygones, be bygones, and go. That, yeah, that sounds good, but it stirs up conflict. It stirs, stirs, and and listen, there are times I know that I've done something against someone, and I had no clue. I certainly had no intention. But unless that person would come to me, there's this conflict going on, right? We don't want to let conflict remain. And and, and bitterness remain, resentment remain, right? We want to cover those bases. We want to say, and be, we should be open. We should be ready to say, listen, I want to know if I've hurt someone. I want to know if I've done something wrong. I want to know if I've sinned against you so we might be restored. Why? Well, first of all, that's healthy, right? That's how we ought to love one another. That, that's healthy for you and I to do. Secondly, that's what the church is supposed to look like. We aren't supposed to look like the rest of the world. We are strangers and exiles to what's going on out there. And they do that all day, every day. There's all kinds of gossip and busyness and busybodies that are going on, all kinds of crazy things. And there's hatred and, and resentment and bitterness and there's tons of conflict everywhere you look. We're strangers and exiles. We're called to love one another. We're called to forgive. We're called to encourage one another. We're called to be restored with one another so that the world would look in and see that we are Christ's followers. Right? We see that in John 13:34. I give you a new command. Love one another just as I have loved you you are also to love one another right jesus sets the example he says by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another you see love is our witness love shows that we are strangers and exiles uh, people and, and listen I, it's amazing to see the way christians love and and we want we should we should endeavor to do it better but even now today in in this community you know i don't know if you know this but the, the south county pastors network together. We, we meet together. We pray together. We, we lift each other up. We encourage each other and support each other, right? So l- l- what's going on at Mountain Christian right now, having lost Pastor Roger, Roger was part of those prayers and part of those meetings, right? And now, and now our brothers and sisters are, are hurting, and, and we're loving them and reaching out to them. Love does that, and the community is watching like, whoa, these guys aren't fighting each other? That's not different teams? No, same team. Same team. It's team Jesus, Sort of to love and serve one another, and that is to be our witness to a world who doesn't really do that. They pick teams, they pick sides, and they hold their ground there, where our ground is held on the rock that is Jesus Christ, and we are called to love one another. So as we live expectantly, we are called to love one another. Next thing we see, number three, we're called to serve one another. Verse 10, following, just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. If anyone speaks, let it be as one who speaks God's word. If anyone serves, let it be from the strength that God provides. It's interesting here that we've all received this gift. Each one has received a gift, and that gift is not like, "Oh, yay, I have a gift, it's mine. You are to use it to serve others as the the good stewards of the varied grace of God. Do you understand that your gift and my spiritual gift, the gifts that we have are, are means of grace to one another. That I should use it as best I know how to serve you. I loved seeing it at Vacation Bible School. All kinds of different gifts and talents and craziness there. But, but people served in their niche. They served where they were gifted. And, they, and it was a means of grace to one another. And it was a means of grace to our community. That's how God's grace is poured out. By our gifts. And listen, you, you aren't just supposed to be sitting on the front porch eating your popcorn and watching for Jesus right? You're supposed to pop the popcorn and invite others to come too. If you have the gift of popping popcorn? Invite us over. But you see what I'm saying, like, use that gift, use that gift for, as a means of grace to serve one another. Ephesians tells us this, you're saved by grace, right? Through faith, this is not from what? Yourself. It's not about you. Jesus is all about you, but it's, it's not about you and how good you are. It's not of yourselves. It's a God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship. We are his workmanship. Right? We're created in his image. We're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, not to sit back and relax. For good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. There's a job God wants us to have and enjoy. There's a, jo- a job and a gift that God wants us to, to serve with and use as a means of grace to the body of Christ to build them up. Paul wrote this in Romans, in Romans 12. Now, as we have many parts in one body, and all the parts do not have the same function. Can I get an amen for that? We don't all have the same function, right? In the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually, we are members of one another, or we belong to one another. We're one body. I need you. You might be the foot or the head or the eyeball. I, I need you and you need me. We're part of one body. According to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. If prophecy, use it according to the proportion of one's faith. If service, use it in service. If teaching, in teaching. If exhorting, in exhortation. In giving, then give generously. In leading, then with diligence. In showing mercy, then with cheerfulness. Listen, the gifts you have are a means of grace for building up the church. And as we are strangers and exiles waiting for Christ's return and rule and reign, we are to use those gifts to serve one another as that means of grace. We go on. If we're, as we live expectantly, we live expectantly, number, number four, for the glory of God. We live expectantly for the glory of God. The last part of verse 11, we we've just said love one another. We just said serve one another so that God may be glorified through Christ Jesus in everything. To Him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. To Him. He gets the glory. He gets the renown. Because He's done all the work. Going back to Ephesians, you're saved by grace through faith. Not of yourselves. It's God's gift. God has given us that gift. God has done the work. God, it, 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 so that no one can boast. So that when we boast, we should be boasting about who? God. About Christ. About about the power of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and what it's accomplished for the weary, sinful soul. When we turn to him, we are saved, not by any works that we have done, but by what God has accomplished for us. And as he's drawn us into relationship with him and forgiven us through repentant faith in him, to him be the glory forever. Paul writes in Corinthians that whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it for the glory of God, do everything for the glory of God. It's so difficult for me, and I, I let me. It's going to sound weird. Weird. It's so difficult for me to teach this to my children. Why? Because they grumble and complain all the time. But why is it difficult? Because I grumble and complain all the time. It's difficult to teach this to my children because it's difficult to model when things don't go quite right. We complain instead of saying, you know what, this is, we are God's workmanship. We're created in Christ Jesus for good works. We're going to use this as an opportunity. I'm going to use my gifts as a means of grace to serve and love one another for the glory of God. So when you go up and scoop dog poop on the front lawn, it's for the glory of God. I had to have that conversation yesterday with my daughter. Of course, I've been preparing for the sermon, so I did it nice and gentle and made sure she understood that. Right? I know, we do it. we have to do it. The dog continues to eat and go out to the front lawn, so we have to continue to do this work. But it's part of being a family. It's part of being responsible. It's part of being a steward. And we do it when we do it. We do it with all our might. We do it as, we, as serving the Lord and not men. We do it for the glory of God. Why? Because doing it for the glory of God points people to God and not us. And as strangers and exiles, that's what we are. We are a finger, a creation, a finger pointing to the one that's the creator, pointing to the one that has saved us so people might come to know him in faith. We point it all back to him so he can be exalted. He's the Savior. He's the Lord. We are not. So when we love and when we serve, we do it for the glory of God. We do it cheerfully and graciously as a means of grace under the glory of God. Number five, we kind of switch gears here and go back into suffering in verse 12. If you're going to live expectantly, don't think suffering is strange. Don't think suffering is strange. Look at verse 12. Dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you as if something unusual were happening to you. You see, so many people think, oh man, I'm, I'm going to get with Jesus and he's going to make me rich and he's going to make me healthy and I'm going to have the greatest job and the greatest everything and it's going to be wonderful. And then tragedy strikes and disappointment happens and they're wondering what the heck is going on? Why? And they think it's strange. They think it's odd. They're, they're surprised by it. Why? I don't, I don't know. Because they've been taught something false. They've embraced a the false messiah. The the Messiah that we have embraced was ridiculed and beaten and spit upon and crucified. But he rose victoriously, conquering death for us. And the promise is because he lives, we will live too. But the promise is also because he suffered, we will suffer too. What does Peter say? Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes your way to test you as though something unusual happened. We're happening to you. I want you you to get something very clearly. There's a difference between the way religious people suffer and righteous people suffer. And it's huge. It's it's huge, okay? Understand this. The the world does not persecute religious people. The world persecutes righteous people. You you can be religious all day long. I'll go to church and I... And you don't live righteously, you don't, you don't proclaim the gospel, you just, you just have a set of rules you follow, you kind of check off the box, you go about your business, and the world says, good, go about your business, do your thing. Doesn't bother me, but righteous people, righteous people bring, bring forward the light of Jesus Christ. They bring forward the truth of the wrath of God on sin, and, and, and people, when they're with righteous people, feel like there's condemnation for sin. Whether you say it or not, they, they understand that. People don't persecute the right, the religious people people persecute the righteous so if our aim is to live righteously we should expect suffering and not consider it strange when it happens i want to i want to show you this in in first john actually hoyt's been teaching through this on wednesday nights; it's been amazing uh, but you've seen this at the very beginning of time with with two brothers cain and abel here's what here's what john says in first in john uh, for this message you have heard from the beginning we should love one another right that's we've talked about that today Love one another, unlike Cain. because there was love, right? Abel had love and he was righteous. But unlike Cain, Cain who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. What were, well, what were Cain's deeds? They were evil. Well, what were they? They were religious. Right? He he offered a sacrifice, but not from the heart. He offered a sacrifice, but not in faith. He offered a sacrifice, checked off the box. Oh, so, yeah, I'm religious. I offer sacrifices. And what did God say? No, 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 not today. I don't want that one. Right? And, and Cain was filled with more murderous thoughts, hate towards his brother, and he, he killed his brother. And and, and I'll, I'll tell you that here's why. Here's why we see persecution to the righteous and not religious. If Abel had been religious and come and just offered a sacrifice like Cain did, guess who'd still be alive? Abel. Because they were in the same boat. Oh, we're doing the same thing. Oh, oh, God wasn't pleased. Okay, well, let's, let's go try again tomorrow, Abel. But they came and they offered their sacrifices. Abel did it righteously in faith and trust of a sovereign God, of a Savior God. Cain did it in unrighteousness, in works, in religion. And God did not receive and accept his sacrifice, so he killed the righteous one. So, goes on in 1 John, don't be surprised, brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers and sisters. The one who does not love remains in death. So, there's this outward, you know what, we're going to live righteous, we're going to love each other well, and if the world hates that, they're missing out but we should not find it surprising that we suffer. I've actually become accustomed to thinking and, and encouraging myself that, that as I'm preparing for a sermon or that I'm, uh, there's a, the VBS is going on, something, something awesome is going to happen, right? We're going to do something for Jesus today. And, and the day before we do something big for Jesus, what happens? Trouble, worry, the car breaks down, the compressor blows up in the backyard, I mean, all, all kinds of fun things, right? And, and I don't consider it strange anymore. In fact, I, I expect it. I expect it even more for me on Saturdays, and Saturday, as Saturday night approaches, oh, oh man, I can feel myself wanting to get like, like a little bit angry, a little bit short with my kids and my wife, like no, 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 wait a minute, wait, Satan wants to stir me up, Satan, the enemy is prowling around, the enemy hates the righteous, so when, when I start feeling that, I'm like, oh good, I, okay God, something good's gonna happen, something, something, you, you I, I must be doing something right, because if I was doing something wrong, if I, was, if I was just sitting passively on the porch, Satan would let me sit there passively and go about his business. But when I'm desiring to love people and serve others and to live righteously, to live faithfully to God using my gifts, I should expect the enemy to attack, and so should you. We should expect trials and suffering, but we can have peace. Jesus promises in John 16, I've told you the things that you might have peace. You will have suffering in this world, but be courageous. I have conquered the world. We will have suffering in this world, but, but be courageous and have peace because He, Jesus, has conquered the world. Number six, as we live expectantly, we should rejoice. In suffering. Not only should we expect it, right, and, and not think it's strange when it comes, we should rejoice in suffering. Peter goes on in verses 13 through 14. He says, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ, so you may also rejoice with great joy when his glory is revealed. If you are ridiculed for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of the, and glory of God rests on you. It's, it's really interesting. I I, uh, I'm i a Dodgers fan, right? And I, our Dodgers have kind of been in second place, hovering there for a while, and they still are. But last night kind of was like a breath of fresh air. And, I, and may, you may not understand this, and that's okay. I'll use another example in a second. But when your team is down and they're struggling and they're, they just can't seem to score a run or out, outscore the opponent, it just gets a little bit Hard and tiresome, right? It's like, man, and you think about the fight as a team. If you've ever played a team sport, and you've, you're working hard, and you're trying to put in the at bats or put in the practice to to be proficient, right? And and you're you're struggling with it, and you're you're just you're. It's like you're suffering, but you know there's something that good could come from this suffering, right? And and what what's great, like last night, one of the players hit a walk off home run. What does that mean? It means that in the bottom of the night when when they were they were down to the final outs they could have this was the last time at bat and they were tied in the ball game they had to do something now or they would lose the game potentially to hit a walk off home run means you've won the, the ball's over the fence the other team doesn't get another chance to come back they've already batted this inning and and they, they, he runs around the bases he touches home plate guess who's at home plate the entire team the entire team is there at home plate to rejoice and to jump and to take that big thing of Gatorade and, and pour it on them. And say, way to go, way to go. And they're jumping and having a good time and, and rejoicing, right? But that rejoicing came through a lot of suffering. Rejoicing does that. We, and Peter's exhortation is that. the same thing, that, that rejoice in our sufferings. You might rejoice with great joy when his glory is revealed. It's like, you know what? Suffering's coming. This is hard. It's a grind. It's a work. But I'm going to rejoice in it because I know there's going to be a greater joy to come. And here's the other example if the walk-off home run didn't work for you. Jesus says this in John 16. Right before he said, I have overcome the world. This is part of that passage. He says, truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn and the world will rejoice. You will become sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. He gives an example. When a woman is in labor, she has pain because her time has come. But when she's given birth to a child, she no longer remembers the suffering because of the joy that a person has been born into the world. So you also have sorrow now. But I will see you again. Your hearts will rejoice and no one will take away your joy from you. We're going to suffer we are going to struggle. We are going to endure pain. We are going to endure hardship. Christ followers around the world are going to go to their death. But Jesus has overcome the world, and we will rejoice now. And He and nothing, not even our death, will be able to take away the hope and peace we have and the joy we have in Jesus Christ. Amen? So as we are strangers and exiles, we are to rejoice in suffering. While most people may not want to follow this principle, It's true nonetheless. We typically pay the price today in order to have the enjoyments of the future. So rejoice even as you suffer today because there's a greater joy coming because of Christ Jesus our Lord. Number seven, when we live expectantly, we should evaluate our suffering. As we live expectantly, their suffering comes upon us. We need to evaluate, why am I suffering? Peter goes on, verses 15 through 18. He says, let none of you suffer as a murderer right? A thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. There's a wide gamut of sins there, by the way. It's not just like a murderer. Oh yeah, I'm not a murderer. What, what's a meddler, right? Look that up a little bit later today. Do some backgrounds. Basically, all of us could fit into that category. We shouldn't suffer for those things. That's not, that's not good suffering. That's necessary suffering. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in having that name. I'm a Christian. I'm a, Christ follower. I suffered for the name of Jesus Christ. For the time has come for judgment to begin with God's household. This is, this is kind of one of those, wait, what's that mean? It means that God is refining us. That God is sharpening us. That God disciplines his children. He disciplines the ones he loves. So we ought to be evaluating our suffering. And our suffering should not be because I didn't get my way, or I didn't, I didn't get enough money this week, or I didn't get that new thing, or my team didn't even win. That's, that's not our suffering. That's not what we should be suffering about. Or if you suffer for doing evil, you should suffer for doing evil. We need to evaluate our suffering. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who disobey the gospel of God? Right? There's judgment. There's judgment on the, on the world because of sin. And for you and I, God wants to purify his church and let, it, let us continue to refine ourselves and to sanctify us, setting aside sin, leaving sin behind. It says, if a righteous person is saved with difficulty, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So a few questions to ask yourself. Number one, why, why am I suffering? Am I suffering legitimately because of my faith in Christ? Or is my suffering right now because I am evil and I'm doing bad and I'm sinful and and the consequences of those sins are finding its way to me. Why am I suffering? And you ought to ask yourself, am I in Christ or not in Christ because of what, what I'm suffering? Next question you could ask is, am I ashamed as I suffer for the gospel or do I glorify Christ? Is it glorifying to God? Am I Am I happy to suffer because it glorifies God or am I ashamed to suffer? Am I ashamed to be seen with? Am I ashamed to love that way? Am I ashamed to speak of the name of Jesus Christ? And that leads us to the last question I'd ask during that, in this passage. Am I seeking to, to share Christ with others? Do I understand the urgency because of the judgment of God against sin in sharing Christ and the redemption and hope found in Jesus Christ, the forgiveness found in Jesus Christ, the atonement, that was accomplished on the cross of Christ with a world that is dying and far from Christ? Is there an urgency in you? Or are you sitting back on your porch, just patiently waiting, wasting your waiting, not living expectantly, not evaluating your suffering, not going out and being willing to suffer? And it's hard. I get that. We may not be suffering now. You're like, I'm glad I'm not suffering right now. That means you're probably not sharing the gospel right now because we're going to suffer as we share the gospel and the hope of Jesus Christ, because we're talking about judgment over sin. We're also talking about forgiveness found in Jesus, that Jesus was the one who died for that sin. We see in Mark chapter 8, Jesus calls the crowds together and along with his disciples. He says, if anyone wants to follow after me, this is a good evaluation, right? He must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Whoever, uh, whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me and the gospel will save it. For what does it benefit someone to gain the whole world if, and, let, and yet lose his soul? And what can anyone give in exchange for his life? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, if anyone's ashamed of me and says, ah, I'm just going to sit back and watch from over here. I'll I'll, just, I'll I'll wait for the Lord to return. I think I'm good. If anyone's ashamed of me, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Listen, you want that? You want to experience that walk-off home run. You want to understand that we, there is suffering now. We're evaluating that suffering. We're going into suffering. We're going to work hard now so that that grace and the glory and that joy revealed at Christ's return would be something that we yearn for and long for. You don't want it to be that time where you, you haven't been suffering, you haven't been uh, following and obedient, you've been kind of sitting back doing nothing, and then Jesus shows up. You're like, uh-oh, oh, there was probably something I forgot to do. Probably. Get it done today. Are you in Christ? Are you taking up your cross, or are you ashamed? Evaluate your suffering. Finally, when we live expectantly, we must entrust ourselves to the one who is faithful. So important. When we live expectantly, when we live as strangers and exiles in a world that is not our home, we have to constantly and consistently entrust ourselves to the one who is faithful. Peter says it in 4:19. So then, so then, given all of this, so then let those who suffer according to God's will entrust themselves to a faithful creator while doing what is good. It's active we're entrusting ourselves while doing good, while doing God's will. We're going to move forward obediently even if we suffer because we are entrusting ourselves with our suffering through our suffering to a faithful creator. This word entrust is to is to like deposit for safekeeping. You think about the the deposit boxes or safety deposit boxes at banks or large safes. You're like I want my items that are valuable to be put here, locked down, code, security, big metal, you know, big bolts and and fire rated, right? Like okay, I, I can entrust that. Even that will fail. But we are entrusting ourselves to the Creator, to the faithful Creator who will never fail. Final passage from Second Timothy chapter one, verses eight through twelve. It's written here. It says, so "Don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, or of me as prisoner." Paul, right? He's ta- talking about this. Instead, share in the suffering for the gospel. Walking through it, walking in it, and it says, relying on the power of God, right? Entrusting ourselves to a faithful Creator. He has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works. Like, listen, you and I can't carry the load anyway. So, as we go through suffering, man, that is a burden that we should not be carrying. So, just entrust yourself to the faithful Creator. according uh, Not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. This has now been made evident through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has, who has abolished death, right? We go through suffering like, I don't want to die. I don't want to, I don't want to suffer unto death even. Well, he's, he has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. only thing anybody can do to you is take your physical life. That's the worst case scenario. But your soul is, is something that's been entrusted to God. I I am Brandon, I'm talking to you. This is my soul using this body. This body is going to fail me, but I am going to live forever in eternity with Jesus because of what Christ has done in abolishing death. That's the victory that we have. Go ahead, take away this body. It's kind of getting worn out. I'll I'll get my new one. You can't kill my soul. Paul goes on, for this gospel, this message, and even if I suffer, I was appointed a herald an apostle, a teacher, and that is why I suffer these things, but I am not ashamed. Why? Because I know whom I have believed. I know whom I believe. I've entrusted myself to him, and I am persuaded that he is able to guard what has been entrusted to me until that day. Listen, church, I hope you believe that. I hope as a stranger in exile, you believe that as you walk faithfully, living in righteousness, uh, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, and suffering all the while, that you rejoice in that, knowing that you have entrusted yourself to the only one in the universe that can actually guard your soul and take care of you. Stop carrying the burden alone as you suffer. Walk into it rejoicing, knowing that he can carry that burden. He has carried that burden, and he is a trustworthy and faithful God, That's what it means to live expectantly and trusting ourselves to the faithful Creator. Amen. Let's stand together for prayer and continue time of worship. Father, we, we thank you so much for the word. We think of that. We, we, we get the chance to come and to celebrate you and to, God to lift you up and, and God to glorify you. But God as we do, we know that, that there are truths that need to be uh, written on our hearts, and God, there's sanctification, God setting apart that needs to happen with us. So God, help us to to move towards you more obediently. God, help us to to lift up the name of Jesus, God, as we obey the name of Jesus. And God, even as we suffer, God, our our hope is to be in you. We are to entrust ourselves to the faithful creator. God, you have done everything to guard our soul through what's been accomplished, through your suffering, your death, your resurrection. And God, with the power now of God, We have life through faith in Jesus Christ, so we thank you for that. Guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, we pray in his name. Amen.